It is absolutely a privilege to be with you. Um, I love coming back, and thank you for inviting me again. Uh, I'm a free church pastor, so I have the utmost respect for this Cornerstone Church in our denomination. In fact, we, we love you so much. You guys are like our big brothers or our daddies or maybe our grandparents because our, our church is four years old and everybody seems old to me. Um, but we respect you so much. I know Mike has done an absolutely phenomenal job with his staff and the pastoral staff and all the other, and they deserve an applause. They deserve really your honor. I think so. They've done a great job. But let me tell you what makes this church, this church is the saints, you. And this church is what it is because of your faithfulness, your dedication, your devotion, your mission. And so we learn from you, and we're so thankful. And I'm also very happy to bring some diversity in the preaching platform. And by diversity, I mean dudes with hair. So, um, <laughs> so let's uh, get on with this. We're going to start with the Bible. And if you have your Bible, please turn to Luke chapter 7. And we're going to just chew on an amazing parable that Jesus teaches and is dripping with the gospel. Luke chapter 7, starting from verse 36. And this is the word of the Lord. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with her hair on her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who And what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning down the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. That is the word of the Lord for this morning. Now you might have noticed as you are reading your Bible, there are headings on certain paragraphs. And this particular heading says, a sinful woman forgiven. However, it's not just one person that we're talking about here. We see that Jesus in verse 40 is interacting with a man named Simon. And again in verse 44, he's interacting with this woman. So it's about two people, not just one. And it was designed 
to help us contrast these two lies for us to better understand the gospel. And to not compare and contrast these two lives would be to miss the point. So we have here a Simon the Pharisee. And Simon the Pharisee is a member of the religious and the cultural elite. And he had invited Jesus to a very formal banquet. Now, first, when we think about formal banquets and we see a clue in this passage that Jesus was reclined. So the position of how you eat at a formal banquet was to lay to the side with one elbow, head towards the table, feet away from the table. That's how you lounge. But the second thing that's important to know is that in a formal banquet, it's not only the guest attendees and many people who are serving that table uh, that form the crowd. In fact, in that culture, they invited many people, and it was a known thing for people to come and to just join in the conversation and to listen and to see what kind of food was being served so people could actually participate from the streets. And certainly, this was a situation where this woman had the permission to come to Simon's house just to listen in. So we find her at the feet of Jesus. Now, who is this woman? Unlike Simon, who is a member of a religious and the cultural elite, we're told here in verse 37 that she is a woman of the city. That means she's a prostitute. And she approaches Jesus, and she's about to do something. She brings this alabaster flask filled with ointment, a perfume ointment, And oftentimes, in those times, they would use this perfume ointment to soothe the tired feet, to take care of the callous feet, to to, um, mend the broken feet, and to sweeten the stinky feet, even. And and they would do that. It was a, a measure of luxury and comfort that brought great benefit. But before she could do that, she started weeping, it says. And so much so that her tears dropped all over Jesus' feet. And certainly it was at that time that Christ noticed where she was and who she was. And the whole entire room probably turned to her. And yet instead of flighting or running away, she lets down her hair. And with her dry hair, starts drying the feet of Jesus, starts kissing them. And then breaks the alabaster flask and applies the ointment to Jesus And here is the question. Why is this relevant to us today? Now, this story has two main characters. It's not just a story of this woman, but it's also about Simon. And they both wanted to seek out Jesus. And it's obvious from this text that this woman wanted Jesus. But it should also be noted that Simon absolutely wanted Jesus too. And how do we see that? We see here in verse 36, one word gives it away. And it says, Simon asked him to eat with him. Now remember, Simon was a Pharisee, and Pharisees were people who utterly opposed Jesus. And the only other Pharisee that we know in the Bible that had a relationship with Jesus was a man named Nicodemus. But how did Nicodemus come? By night. He came by night because all the Pharisees were absolutely opposed to Jesus, and they did not want to be exposed in the daylight. So he came by night. So it took immense courage for Simon to not only invite him for a conversation, but now to invite him over for dinner. And the cultural context, understanding of that time was to say that if you invite somebody for dinner, you really want a relationship. You see, Simon wanted Jesus just as much as this woman wanted Jesus. So they're both seeking Jesus, but at the end of the day, Jesus welcomes only one and rejects the other. They both want Jesus, but only one gets the gospel 
and the other doesn't. One is a genuine Christian, and the other is a genuine religious person. And because you are here, filled in this room, I'm assuming, I think fairly, that you want to seek Jesus. And that's an awesome thing. But at the end of the day, I think you will be able to relate with one of these two people, whether you're going to be relating with Simon or you're going to be relating with this broken woman. You'll either be tempted to intellectualize the gospel or you will be moved by the gospel. And the question is, which of them are you? Which one are you? Are you the religious person or are you the Christian? And what's the difference? So let me point out with the remainder of time we have together just four differences in the way of compare and contrasting. And the first point is one comes impersonally, the other one comes personally. You see, Simon's approach is impersonal, and he comes intellectually. He's coming at Jesus with his head, but the woman offers her whole self. And you can see here that Simon is actually thinking. Okay? Notice, as soon as the woman touches Jesus, he's thinking. In verse 39, it says, If this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Now, what's going on here? He's thinking. He's like, wait a minute. If he's a divine man that he should know who she really is. If he doesn't know who she really is, then he's not divine. And yet, if he's a divine man, and if you allow this unholy person to touch you, maybe perhaps he is a sinner himself. And so that's what's kind of the mindset that um, Simon had. Now, thinking is good. I often say that Christianity is a thinking religion, so we need to think, but we need to go well beyond the thinking And Simon stopped right there. But she goes all the way personally. Well, she offers her whole self. And that's why Jesus essentially says to Simon, Simon, she wept over me. She kissed me. She anointed me with oil. And could you imagine what Simon's thinking? He's thinking, wait, Jesus, you want me to do that? You want me to kiss you and your feet? You want me to embrace you? You want me to anoint you with oil? Could you imagine what Jesus is thinking? Jesus is saying, yeah, I do. And what Jesus is doing here is he's absolutely going after Simon's impersonal religion. And let me frame it this way. I have a neighbor, a dear neighbor, who comes to my church once in a while. Now, this woman is a polytheistic person. She believes that there are many ways to God. And so she doesn't mind when I talk about Jesus at all because she respects Jesus. But it's not so much that she respects the personhood of Jesus. She respects the kindness and the generosity of Jesus. So she says, don't necessarily follow Jesus. Just do what he actually did. Jesus is not the way to life. He just shows us. So do the moral things. Do the kind things. Do the generous things. And if you do these things, Jesus is one of many who could show us to the way of God. Now, polytheistic people generally adopt that mentality because they don't want to exclude anybody. They want to adopt everybody. They want to include everybody. So she cannot stand the exclusivity of the gospel to say Jesus is the only way. So what she will say is it's important of all the things that Jesus did, but don't fall in love with the person. That's what she would say. In other words, she would say, it doesn't matter what you believe about Christ. It just really matters that you are a good person. Now, you realize here that Jesus is saying absolutely the opposite 
of my friend, my neighbor. Because Jesus says here, it doesn't matter how good you are, what kind of good person you are, what really matters is that you have a personal relationship with me. Because clearly this woman who was a prostitute was not a moral woman. And yet God, Jesus invites her. And the average OCer would say, it doesn't matter what you believe about Christ as long as you're a good person. But Jesus says, it doesn't matter if you're a good person. All you have to do is to have a personal relationship with me. You see, the false motivation of separating the message from the messenger is so that we could be open-minded, so that we don't exclude anyone. But by doing that, we essentially exclude something very critical. You know what it is? The personal. We exclude the personal. If you say what is really important is doing certain moral things as opposed to loving Jesus passionately, what you're saying is that the essence of religion is an impersonal one. What you say is, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're good. What you just created is a religion without tears, a religion without a person, a religion without pouring out, a religion without touching. Do you see here in this text when Simon gets perturbed, you know when he gets upset? It's when this woman touches Jesus. See, Simon does not want a touchy religion. He doesn't want a personal religion. He wants morals. He wants just how-to. He wants to just simply know how to live nobly, and he wants to live morally. He wants a detached, impersonal religion while she comes with all of her life. So you see, at the end of the day, you're either going to exclude something one way or the other, In one sense, you're going to try to embrace everybody, but you're going to lose out on the personhood of Christ if you try to include everybody. And I would say the Simon kind of religion that says, hey, let's just try to include everybody and think morally, you will lose out more on the basis of that you will lose Christ through that. And so Simon wants a discussion. This woman wants a personal relationship. And the challenge to us this morning is as you read Scripture, As you spend time in the word, do you want a relationship with Jesus or do you want information? Do you come to this place because it's part of your daily Sunday rhythm or do you come to engage the grace and the gospel of Christ? See, this woman wanted a relationship. Here's the second difference. One comes with great conditions. The other one comes unconditionally. Now, Simon here comes with all sorts of conditions, while this woman comes without any conditions whatsoever. And the question is, how do we know that? Okay, she breaks open the alabaster jar. She breaks open this alabaster jar. I want to show you an image of an alabaster jar. It was a small flask of perfume, okay? And and what it had is it, it had a long, skinny neck. And the skinny neck made it almost impossible to actually pour it out. But because of the hole, you could actually smell the oils. You smell the fragrance. But you couldn't pour it out unless you broke the neck. And then you ruined the alabaster jar forever. Now, they were very expensive. And in that culture, they were an incredible accessory of fragrance and beauty. And it made women attractive and desirable. And if you ever want to pour it out, you have to break the neck, 
And once you poured it out, it was useless. Now, notice what's going on here. The commentators would say that this woman who broke the alabaster jar jar and poured the oil on Jesus was absolutely committing financially all that she had to Christ. As to say that because she was a prostitute, we could simply assume that she was a single, she was a pariah to the culture, and that she did not have very many friends, and that probably this alabaster jar jar was the most expensive thing that she had, but she was willing to pour it out, sacrifice all of herself without condition. But I would add something even more significant to that. She was not only pouring out financially, but she was also pouring out her power. Now, what kind of power does a prostitute have in the world? You see, her only power, her only leverage in life is her desirability. It's her attractiveness. And she takes it off. And she breaks it and she pours it out. And what she's saying by doing this is, Jesus, if you say who you say you are, then that changes everything. I have to come to you without conditions. I have to give you all that I am. I have to give you all that I have. I absolutely surrender. Now, do you realize that total surrender is absolutely the most rational way to approach Christ? Because when you first start seeking Jesus and saying, you know what? I'd like to find out more about Jesus. You could either go one of two ways. First, you could go the Simon way, or you could go with this woman way. And the Simon way would say, you know, I'm interested in Jesus. But I don't want to change my position. I don't want to change my goals. I don't want to change my thoughts. Yes, I would love the power and the peace that comes with the gospel. And yet I would want to extract all the benefits. And yet I don't want to change my perspective. Do I have to change this? Do I have to give up this? Do I have to give up that? It's a question that he's asking and he's not willing. And yet the most rational thing to address a sovereign God If you want to know that he's sovereign, if you want to know that he's trustworthy, if you want to know that he's all-loving, then the only way you could test those areas about God is if you surrender these areas in your own life so that he could apply his goodness and his sovereignty and his mercy and his grace over our lives. That's the only way. But it does not make sense to approach God with all this power and all this sovereignty and come with all these conditions to say, God, I only bring you this much. It's almost like my five-year-old saying, you know what? When I grow up, and he says this all the time, I want a big family, bigger than yours, Dad. I want lots of kids, but I don't want to kiss girls. (laughs) That's what he says. (laughs) I don't want to kiss girls, but I want a big family, lots of kids. I'm like, don't you know, son? Don't you know that kissing girls is exactly the way you have babies? You want lots of babies, you're going to have to kiss lots of girls. Okay? But he doesn't know that because he has a five-year-old brain and he's projecting his future with this, you know, this is what an adult looks like for me. And yet he puts really lame conditions over his life because he's only a kid. And for us to come to an almighty sovereign God and to say, you know what? Yeah, you can have my life except I want to assume what's best for me. I want to assume that my way is better than your way. So I'm going to just come with conditions. And what Jesus will say to us, for those of us who come with conditions, is to say, come back to me when you grow up. But this woman, she's welcomed by Christ because she's absolutely surrendering all that she has. 
Here's the third difference. One is unaware of the need. The other one is absolutely aware of the need. While the woman is fully aware of her need for a savior, Simon is unaware. And we see this in verse 41. Jesus tells this marvelous parable. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, roughly a year's wage, and the other 50, a month's wage. And when they couldn't pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Now, this is the first thing that Jesus tries to show Simon, that he is in need of a Savior. And in this parable, there are two people, and they both owe money, and yet they do not have the ability to pay off this money. So they're about to be penalized. They're about to be bankrupt. They're about to be jailed. Okay? So now this parable is really brilliant because it doesn't matter how much you owe. It does not matter as long as you don't have the ability to pay, you're always going to be in trouble. It doesn't matter how bad your life is or how nice your life was. The reality is everybody owes and nobody could pay. That's our situation. We're spiritually bankrupt. It doesn't matter if you owe $10 million to the mob or it doesn't matter if you owe $10,000 to the mob. Eventually, if you owe, Guido's going to come after you. That's the situation that we're in. So since I just came back from camping, I have to give you a camping illustration. So, so imagine there's a poisonous spider that comes into your tent and bites you as you were sleeping. Oh, so you peacefully just die. Never wake up. Or the other scenario is a bear comes into your tent, decapitates you, dismembers you, and throws all of your limbs all over the campground. Okay, here's the question that I want to ask. Out of those two people, who is more dead Who is more dead? Which of those two are more dead? Well, here's the reality. One is pretty dead. One is really ugly dead. But the point is they're both dead. They're absolutely dead. And this is what Jesus is saying. Simon, you're pretty dead. See, you have a moral life. That's great. But you're pretty dead. This woman... She's ugly dead. She has a past. She has deep scars. She has deep wounds. She's ugly dead. She's made many mistakes in her life. But here's the reality. You're both dead. And you are not a mistaker in need of a life coach. You are a sinner. And you are in need of a savior. This is the reality of our spiritual bankruptcy. You see, religious people are constantly trying to be their own savior, trying to control their lives by saying, you know, look, I could do it. I could be good enough. While irreligious people play God by saying, screw what God says, I'll do my own and treat themselves with God. Either way, one is pretty dead, one is ugly dead. They're both dead. And that's why John Piper says this. The reason why we need a savior is not just that we are in a doghouse with God and we need to be forgiven for offending his glory. We need a savior because we're in the morgue. And in the doghouse, you might whimper and you might say that you're sorry. You might make some good resolutions. You might decide to cast yourself on the mercies of God. But what can you do if you're in the morgue? And his point is, nothing. Unless there is a savior that comes to rescue you. See, one of them fully was made aware of her need. The other one, absolutely not. Here's the fourth. One is aware of the cost. The other one is completely unaware of the cost. 
Now, one of the reasons why this woman weeps and Simon doesn't is because this woman is absolutely aware of the cost and Simon is not. And salvation here, according to this text, is a forgiveness issue. It's a forgiveness of debt. Now, we all know this. Forgiveness of debt always means that somebody pays. Now, if you are somebody that owes and, and you fail to pay back, you know, somebody always pays. It's always either the debtor or it's always either the lender. One of the two has to pay. So if you owe somebody $1,000 and you don't pay back that $1,000, $1,000 is not going to somehow be made up into, in thin air. It's just, it doesn't happen that way. Same with forgiveness issues. Now, if you offend me, if you wrong me, and I choose to forgive you, then I pay. But if I choose to not forgive you, you pay. Somebody always pays. And what Christ is saying here, he's saying, there's a great cost. There's a cost to your life. And I on the cross hung there. Nails were penetrated into my hands. And all the wrath of God that should have went to every sinner who all the sinners that committed every sin ever committed for, for eternity, okay, I was going to pay the wrath. There's a great cost. I was going to be separated from the Trinity. I was going to be separated from the Father. I will be silenced. I will take the pain. I will take the grief. And I will do this so that we would have a relationship together. You see, here's the reality. This Simon did not know that he needed a savior. He did not know the cost. You know, I think about my dad a lot. My dad lost his best friend, his wife, last year. And now he's living alone. And, and he's a little sick. He's getting older. And when I think about my dad, I have, I have incredible memories of honor and hard work. And my dad came as an immigrant. And he worked his tail off to try to make it. He worked two jobs while he was going to school to become an engineer. And after he became an engineer, he got laid off after 20 years. After 20 years, he did not know what to do. So he decided to try his hands in business and start a purse store, of all things, at a swap meet. And the swap meet opened 264 days out of the year. The only day off that he got was New Year's Day. He worked very hard. Often, absolutely reluctantly, I would work on a Saturday and I would come to the store really grumpy, having to, like, sell women's purses. It was awful. It was just awful. Every lunch, he would give me, like, five bucks to get some burritos at, at the concession stand. And I said, Dad, you want some burritos? He said, no, I'll eat the white bread that he, he would bring from home. And I would ask often, don't you want the burrito? Why, why do you eat the white loaf? And he would say, this is the way we increase profit margin. I have to eat less. You know, my dad used to sip water. He used to never drink water. You know why? Because he used to man the store often by himself. And he was so fearful that if he had to go to the bathroom, that he would absolutely miss a sale while he was gone. So he would sip water as to not use the restroom as much. See, my dad sacrificed greatly. And when I think about all that my father did so that he could give us the life that we wanted to live, to become what God wanted to call us to see the price that he paid to raise me there's not anything that my father could ask of me today that I wouldn't do I would do anything I would do anything for him 
But this analogy breaks down when we think about what Christ has done for me and for you. Because the cost to Christ was far, far greater than the cost to my father. And if I'm willing to do something for my dad and anything for my dad, then how much of the reality of the gospel coming into me frees me up and gives me new delight and joy to serve my king and my master and my Lord and my dad, my father, my Lord. You see, verse 47, this is so crucial here. This woman sees the cost. She gets it. And because she sees the cost, she gets everything. Verse 47 says, Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she has loved much. But he who is forgiven a little loves little. Now, this is an incredible principle. I don't want you to miss it. Now, when he says her sins, are, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, initially it looks like it's saying that the reason why I forgave her is because she is so loving to me. Okay? But that's not what it's saying. Because you have to look at the second clause, and the second clause says, but he who is forgiven little loves little. What it's really saying is your love response really comes out of your absolute clear knowledge of how much you've been forgiven. Do you see that? To the degree that you know how much of a sinner you are, whether you are a believer or an unbeliever in this room, to the degree that you understand how, how sinful your heart is, and to the degree that you know how Christ has forgiven all of those things, that his grace covers it all, it is to the same degree that you are able to love Christ. You have to see the cost. And Christians, if you are dry and your life is a little boring, and you're not quite passionate about Christ as you once were, perhaps... You are not looking at the cost. And this is the gospel work. The gospel applies to both Christians and non-Christians. And to the non-Christians, this amazing passage gives you this amazing truth. You see, if you, like Simon, if you're like Simon and you believe, you know, if I follow the rules, then God owes me. Let's say you lose your job. Let's say you get cancer. What's going to happen? If you live a Pharisaic life, eventually it's going to crush you. You know why? You're going to say, well, I did all these things for God, so God owes me. So you're going to be mad at God. Or you're going to be mad at yourself because you're going to say, I wish I would follow God more, better than, than, than I did. Because if I were to, then God would bless me. Either way, you're going to be crushed. You're going to be upset at God. You're going to be upset at yourself. Or you might be upset at both. But if you truly have the gospel, and if you know that you've been absolutely forgiven for all the things that you have done, that you re- know the reality of your own sin today, and that you know that you are absolutely unworthy to be sitting here opening up the word and feeling the affection of the Father, if you feel that, that at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what you're going through in life. You know why? Because you say, well, I deserve way worse than what I'm getting right now. Or you wouldn't even blame yourself because you know that God has forgiven you and that he's not punishing you no matter what you're going through. And this woman had this incredible power. And this power only comes through the gospel. And here's the question. Do you have a Simon religion? Or do you have this woman's religion? 
For those of us this morning who say, I'm a believer, I'm a follower of Christ, do you love like this woman? Do you bring conditions to God or absolutely do you approach God's throne? Are you sitting at the foot of the cross saying, I surrender all. Whatever you require of me, I will do because I know the cost. And I know I need a savior. And you've come for me. For those of you who feel dry, for those of you who feel like you're in a desert place, will you remind yourself of the gospel? The gospel that is given to you without condition. The gospel that comes to you, overwhelms you with grace, well beyond your sin. What I love about this passage is it's an invitation for all of us, whether you're a Christian or if you're not a Christian. And if you're in this room and you've never accepted Christ as your Lord, as your Savior, as your Father, here's an invitation for you. You too could have this immense power and authority and joy and transformation like this woman. And all you have to do is to absolutely come to him personally, absolutely come to him unconditionally, absolutely be aware of his need, our need for our Savior, and absolutely recognize the cause. For both the Christian and the non-Christian, the solution is the same. This is how we're going to be passionate towards the things of Christ. Do you remember the cost? Do you remember the cross? Would you bow with me? And could I just give you a minute to think about our state, our brokenness, and God's reception of us. That when the prodigal son came back, before he could ever say, I'm sorry, Dad, the father kisses him. Jesus, raising Lazarus from the grave, he tells Lazarus, take off your grave clothes. Why? Because living people don't wear dead man's clothes anymore. And you are alive in Christ. And some of you are wearing burial clothes still. And you need to take it off because you are alive in Christ. Will you go to him? Will you make just this moment, the moment in your week where you look at the gospel and you find the freedom and restoration from it? So God, we come to you this morning knowing our wretchedness, but knowing the height of your love towards us. So we're so, so grateful that at the highest cost, you saved us and you've given us grace and that you restore us and you strengthen us. And Father, as we address our sins and as we look at your forgiveness towards them, may we be strengthened to become God's children that will glorify you for now and forevermore. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.